So we're summer psalm series, and we're going to be in Psalm 23. So if you can turn there, you go to your middle of your Bible, roughly, Psalms, and then we go to Psalm 23. The book is after Job, before Proverbs. And this is a really famous psalm. Psalm 23 is, is one that's been around for a while. It's a beloved psalm, and it's, it's particularly important to me. And this is what I love about this series is us guys are standing up here, and we're, we're talking about how God has spoken to us through some of these psalms. And this is one that's been important to me, but we're going to get to that in a little bit. Psalm 23 is about a shepherd, part of it at least, the first four verses. And can't think about shepherds without thinking about sheep, right? And what are sheep known for? Wandering. Well, and, and being dumb, right? Sheep are known for, for being pretty dumb. So I figured we could start off by looking at some pictures of sheep being dumb. So first we got this guy. <laughs> this is this is my favorite one, actually. I'm, I'm leading off with him. It, it goes downhill from here. But you'll notice that sheep being dumb, typically they get themselves into trouble when they're trying to fend for themselves, right? They're, tr- they're trying to figure things out on their own. Then we got this guy. He, he, he doesn't know where he's going. He, he's... I don't even know how he got there. The, the picture wasn't big enough. But he was looking for something, and he found that. He's between a rock and a... Yeah, there we go. And then, then there's this guy. Also also looking for food. He found it, but I don't know. I don't think you move your jaw too much when your face is stuck in the bale. I tried it once, actually, and I don't recommend it. Just kidding. No, I didn't. And finally, there's this guy. I have no idea how he got up there. The fireman's sitting up there, and he's wondering how the sheep got up there. The sheep's like, I don't know how I got up here. I'm just a sheep. So we see these sheep, they get themselves in trouble, right? They're, they, they're trying to fend for themselves. They're going out, and particularly when they get separated, I would imagine, from their shepherd. You notice their shepherd. There's no person with a crook in any of those pictures. They get themselves into trouble. Interestingly, through time, Leaders have been called shepherds. If you look through the annals of history, you, you know that no matter the time or the place, because throughout history we've mostly been agrarian, right? We've mostly been farmers. Sheep or, or shepherding has been pretty key. And, and as leaders, people have been called shepherds. Because why? Because we're just, we're just a bunch of dumb sheep that can't fend for ourselves? Well, no, obviously not. But, I mean, you can ask Sarah what I end up eating often when she goes away. And that's... Uh, it's a lot of cereal and sort of grazing around leftovers and stuff like that. But no, it's not, it's not because we're, we're just a bunch of dumb sheep. It's, it's not that at all. It's more than that. It's because there, we know as people that there's others out there that have wisdom and some knowledge that can guide us, that can help us in going in a direction that we want to go. They're wise. And we know that we can look to them for help. We, we can willfully become metaphorical sheep to these shepherds. So whether you're someone who believes that the Bible is God's word to humanity or not, we can all agree that the world needs leaders that love their people. I think we can all agree on that. Somebody that we can look to and who's going to do us well, who's going to set us straight, who's going to lead us into things for our own good. And the answer to the question why is because the trouble we often get ourselves in is because often we can think that we can, we just make decisions in a vacuum without any looking to other people, without any other information. We can do it uncritically and we're just going to nail it every time. Every decision we ever make, we're just going to hit it. 
At least I know that that's the case with me often when I, I, I get out on my own and I'm, and I'm making decisions. I hope you know that that's not always right. That's not, that's not true, that we don't always get the decisions we're trying to make right. There's been a, a rash of, of art damage recently throughout the world, and, and the culprit, weirdly enough, has been the selfie. The selfie. There's a, there, I read an article in a magazine, and they talked about how people trying to get the perfect selfie. So this is this is the this is how our, sometimes as people, where our best thinking can take us, we want to get that perfect selfie. So we put ourselves in a situation where we actually start to damage art. This uh, one woman trying to get a selfie next to these statues knocked over one, and like dominoes, they all fell down and caused over two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage. Or there's this guy. This guy was trying to get a selfie in this work of art, and he caught himself stuck. This is this is sometimes where our best thinking can get us. Or this guy. This isn't. He's not looking for a selfie, but he's looking to try to put up a sign. It's quite ironic. I don't know if this is staged or not, but this guy. He's something else. He's, he's special. And then what would be with? We have a person stuck in a, in a chimney. So sometimes this is where, if we're going for a photo op or something like that, we can get ourselves stuck in a situation. And this is our best thinking can get us there. Our best thinking can sometimes get us there. So we need each other as guideposts. We need wise people. We need people that we can talk to. People that know better. To, we can run things by. That we Or we can say, how are you guys doing these things? It's I don't know how many of you would know this, but... There's actually an official meter, like the, the, the length, the meter. If you go to Paris, there's a, a room with the length of iron. It's an iron rod with two marks on this. And this is the official meter. If you, if you take any meter, it's supposed to line up to this. And this is what I think we need to be able to have as people. When we look to one another, there, there needs to be something more than that. Because what I think is, what I think is right and what you think is right might differ or something like that. As a group, maybe we could get it all together, but maybe there, there could be something beyond us, perhaps, that we can look to we, as an official standard for what we want to be able to measure things against. So with all this in mind, we're thinking about leaders, we're thinking about shepherds, sheep, in a standard. We're going to get into our psalm. Now, our psalm is a, is a wonderful psalm. It's written by David. We don't really know the occasion but as we read through the words of the psalm, we can, we can guess, we can fathom that David has gone through some things. He's seen some things. So we, we imagine it's later on in life that he's writing this. For those of you who don't know David and his story, David was a shepherd boy, a lowly shepherd boy, nothing to really write home about. And then he did some things and all of a sudden he became the, the king's right-hand man. He became the, one of the biggest people in the kingdom. And then he actually became the king's target. The king wanted to kill him, so he was on the run. And then he became the king himself. So you could say that David had been there and done that. He had seen things. He had done some smart things. David did some dumb things. David had taken good advice. David had taken some poor advice. And through all of this experience that he had, David came to this conclusion. Verse 1, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want you to keep that one in the back of your mind. That first verse. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So I don't know about you, but when I read the words or I say the words out loud, the Lord is my shepherd, and particularly I shall not want, it causes me to pause for a moment because I think the Lord is my shepherd, but I don't know about you, but I can still want a lot. Living in Oakville, in fact, can can really help that, can it? Really give us that something to chase after. It makes contentment hard to achieve. I think being if we're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, we can agree we want to be content with what we have. Discontentment leads to all kinds of behavior and most of it isn't good. I think, you know, we can, we can end up neglecting our family as we're, as we're chasing the dream, right? We're, we're trying to get all of that, the, the big career, the cash, the cars. It's, it's, it's more alliteration for you. Or we could be doing things like robbing people at a pharmacy because we're not content with what we have. It's interesting when you look at those two behaviors, they're actually a lot closer. Than, than we like to think, that we want to give credence to. But how are we supposed to find the answer? Where's the answer for contentment? How do we get past that? Well, hey, I'm glad you asked that question this morning. Because our psalm today has a ton to say about it. It's, it's amazing what we can find in this book when we crack it open. If you, if you don't read it very often, I, I really, I encourage you to, because it got, it has tons and tons of really great answers. Today we're going to be thinking, so we, we looked at that, the verse first, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We want, to, we want to add two words to it this morning. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. This is what we're going to, we want to have this hanging over the back of our minds this morning. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. This is propositional. This is a key to the entire psalm as we read through this. Everything that David writes from this point on needs to be hovering in the background. Because unlike sheep, we, we typically choose who we want to follow, don't we? Romans 12.1, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes that he, he encourages people to be living sacrifices, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, what, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? It, it can crawl off the altar, can it? Right? It, it's, it's harder to, to sacrifice something that's living. And this is what Paul's getting at here. Specifically, he's talking about having the body and producing holiness through our bodies, presenting our bodies to God. But, I mean, our bodies, this is our whole, this, in a sense, is our life. This is what we do. What we do has a lot to do with what we believe, as Andrew talked about this morning. Our actions speak 
volumes. So if I'm truly following God, if I if I'm following if Lord is my shepherd, then his provision is going to start to become my wants. They're going to they're going to start to line up. What I want is going to be what God wants. This is tough, but in other words when we think about it, because God loves me, I can find contentment. Because God loves me, I can find or I can experience contentment. And that's why this sermon I titled it The View from the Valley. Because it's all about perspective. Life is all about perspective. When we think about contentment, we have to change the way we think about life. Change the way we think about things. Change the way we think about relationships. Because it's not about what I can get, it's what I can give. Okay, let's dive in. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. By the way, I'm just going to keep this up here the rest of the time. I'm going to put this down. And so we just keep this going in our minds. The Lord is my shepherd. So there's no mistaking right away what David is talking about and who he says he's following. This is common imagery from this time, as I said, the idea of shepherd. And David wants it clear that this is the person he's looking to for sustenance, for leadership, for guidance, is his Lord. Next part of the verse, I shall not want. Now this is where it gets interesting, doesn't it? As we read, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Gotcha. Right? I can, I can get that. I shall not want. Say what? God. Okay, David. I, I got the shepherd part, but the I shall not want part is a little bit more confusing. It's a little bit hard for me to give. Even reading this verse makes me want an explanation for what you're talking about, right? So what gives? What are you talking about? So let's clear this up. If you were or are someone of of Hebrew descent and you have or had been paying attention to him up until this point, knowing David and what he's writing about, Something would have become crystal clear to you as far as what David is trying to get at, what he's alluding to. And that's the most important part or the most important event in the history of the the Jewish people from the Old Testament. Do we we know what that is? What was the biggest thing, the biggest event? The Exodus. Exactly. It was the Exodus and then subsequent wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And as they went around there, People, they, they didn't want for anything. Deuteronomy 2.7 tells us that they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. Funny thing is, though, if you asked the people that were wandering around in the wilderness, though, they'd probably say something different, right? Because as you read through the story, it's a great story. I suggest you read it sometime if you haven't already. They complained the entire time, right? It was never good enough. As far as they were concerned, they lacked everything. It was tough for them. I remember when I was going back to school. Is it is it too early to be talking about going back to school? Yeah, probably a little bit. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I was in going into grade eight. I needed some new jeans, and there were these new jeans that had come out at that point. I'm going to date myself. There, there's a brand of jeans called Ikea jeans, and they had these jeans. They were they were called lockups. Anyone remember lockup jeans? They, they didn't have a top button. They had a, instead a little padlock that would lock up with a key. Do you guys, do you, anybody remember these things? Trust me when I say this, they were an accident waiting to happen, right? But, 
But I wanted these jeans something fierce. As far as I was concerned, I needed a pair of these jeans. They were the coolest thing ever, and I was going to take them probably and, you know, pull it up and maybe roll them up a little bit at the bottom because it was 1991, and that's what we did. But there's a problem with that because I was 13, and I didn't have any money. So the person with the money was taking me to the store, and I was like, I want these jeans. And if you probably haven't picked it up on already, they're, they're pretty expensive. And so the person with the money was like, you're not getting those jeans. And so this is how it went. I need these jeans. Person with the money, you don't need those jeans. Me, life's not, or I'm, uh, back up. That's not fair. And then they responded, life's not fair. Exactly. So who do you think, they're the one with the money. And if it's the Ikea jeans, you're having trouble getting that, maybe maybe bell bottoms would have been more more your style. You really wanted a sweet pair flared out, like 15 feet, right? Could like house families under all that denim. But nevertheless, this is what I wanted. This is what I felt like I needed. But there was, there was a problem as it rubbed up with reality. The person with the money, the, the wise person, as it turned out, I didn't need those jeans. They said I didn't need them. Now, who was right? I think, I think we all know the answer to that question. So the bottom line is when we think about what we need, God provides what's needed in this life and the next. That's the, that's the perspective that we want to have. And this is what Dave is trying to say. That's the takeaway. That's the promise. If there's any discordancy here, right, any lack of harmony in understanding, It's on us. So when David writes that he doesn't want, it's because God, by definition, knows what's best for him, and he provides it. And he doesn't need lock-up jeans either. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, this is a beautiful picture of of a shepherd leading a sheep into this beautiful green pasture. And the wonderful thing about leading into green pastures and staying in green pastures is you don't got to shop around. You don't have to wander around from pasture to pasture. God says, my pasture is good enough. It's green, it's lush, all of everything you need, all the sustenance that you need is here. And he even says, and this is a part that I love, it makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the lying down is a beautiful picture for two reasons. One, because it provides rest, right? It provides rest. We can rest in that. But second, it, it provides safety, doesn't it? When, it? when a sheep is laying down, they know that nothing is going to get them, that God is there. And then that goes into the part where he gets at after that. So he then, keeping on with verse 2, he li- leads me beside still waters. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to drink out of a, a rushing river, but it can be pretty difficult, can it? Uh, this is another old part of my life, but uh, in, the, in the 80s, there's a movie called UHF with Weird Al Yankovic. I don't know if anybody would ever possibly remember this movie, but he was the guy who took songs and then changed the lyrics. So, you know, beat it by Michael Jackson. He, he made it, eat it. And, and, and this is supposed to be really funny. At any rate, he had this movie called UHF, and it was about this independent TV station. And one of the characters was Michael Richards, who would go on to play Kramer in Seinfeld. You guys are getting all this education from pop culture this morning. It's just so glad you came. But anyway, Michael Richards had this game show sort of thing for kids. And, and when a kid would win, one of the prizes was, you got to drink from the fire hose. 
So M- Michael Richards would pull out the fire hose and turn it on as a kid's going, ah, and, and shoot the poor child across the room. So, you know, drinking from a fire hose is, is not good. You need the water to, to slow down a little bit, don't you? I remember when I was just a little guy, I was in Beavers, and uh, the, little, the little group before Cubs, and we had this, this strapping uh, guy. He was a dad of a friend of mine, and he was a guy, and his name was Mr. Guy, funnily enough. And he would take us on little heights. I remember one time we were going by, and, and there was a river coming down. or I've seen like a river to me. It maybe might have been a ditch, but it, it was pretty wild for me being this big. And we wanted to have a drink, but for us little guys, it was we couldn't do it. So big Mr. Guy got down. And he took water out in his hands. And then he, he brought it over to us, us little guys, so we could drink out of his hands. That's the, that's the picture that we want to have. He leaves me beside still waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. This speaks to the idea of life triumphant. He's becoming content. He's becoming part of a deeper relationship. These metaphors paint a picture of provision and peace. They paint a picture of provision and peace. Not only is that true, that's also alliteration. So what's his motivation? He moves on and he says, this is, or he leads me the Lord, the shepherd, leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is God's motivation. It's for his namesake. David's saying, it's not about my namesake. It's not about me. It's not about me, me Chris. It's not about you. It's about, it's about God. He wants us to know where it's at. So although his incredible action in people's lives are meant to be stored in memory. Remember, we, we want to be doing post-it notes everywhere. We want to have those things so we can come back and access them easily. We can forget a lot of what we learn. We can forget the things that God has done in our lives. And this is why the Exodus was so important, because it provides hope. When people think about that Exodus, when think, people think about the things that God has done in their life, it provides them with a sense of hope and for future And we need this hope because through life there's going to be changes. Whether we want them or not, life, sometimes cruelly, we think, just keeps marching forward. And things change. And we don't have to be okay with all these changes. We don't have to sit there and go, change! Woo! Right? That doesn't have to be where we go. But what we need to be able to do is to take the change as it comes and to be able to accept it to be able to live it with a sense of contentment. I don't know what it, uh, if, if any of you have prepared too many messages like this, but I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, when I was writing this this week, the, the conviction load that was on me, because this is exactly where I struggle. This is, this is my, the wheelhouse of where I struggle, is in with contentment, with, with things, with life. It's tough for me, and I have to lean on God heavily in prayer and talking to people. So if for any one second, words I'm saying make you think that I'm sitting here going, I got this 
I got this nailed. I got this, right? And now it's all of you people just need to get this figured out. It ain't, that ain't the case. This is, this is just as tough for me as it is for anybody else. And writing this, being, you know, under this all week. But it's good because the Holy Spirit is good and the Holy Spirit leads me and it teaches me. He teaches me what I need to know. So knowing all this is for God's glory. This helps, remember, because it's all about perspective. The view from the valley improves when we start looking at it as this is for God's glory, not my glory. This is to honor him, my behavior, not honor me or somehow do something for my awesomeness. Because there, there's just there's no awesomeness there. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I think this verse pretty much speaks for himself, for itself. The image is of death stalking him. And, and David, of course, was no stranger to enemies and all of that. But any of us who have lived any amount of time on this earth can look around and we can see there is evil and suffering as far as, as, far as we can see. We're always walking through this and we're always going to be rubbing up against tough times, tough situations. But we notice that David puts this in the future tense. I will fear no evil. He's making a commitment, isn't he? I'm going to take what happens to me and I'm not going to fear it. This is a commitment from this moment onward. For you are with me, he writes. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is that picture of safety. Remember when we're lying down in the nice green pasture? This is, this is why we're safe. Because the rod... He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the shepherd would have this belt, and on a belt would be this rod, and that rod would be there specifically for fending off danger. But not only that, there's the staff, too, that the shepherd has, right? This is the iconic staff. Maybe it's got a little crook on it. And that's to help lead the sheep, helps discipline, provide guidance, all of these things, because I think anybody, any of us know, hopefully we do, I know I do, discipline, guidance, Boundaries, I thrive. And sheep do too. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Now, he's switching gears here a little bit. He, he's taken the, the sheep-shepherd metaphor. That was the first four verses. And now he's switching gears. Some people want to try to, to keep it going. But I think God's kind of like me when it comes to animals. He doesn't like them at the table. And this isn't dogs playing poker or anything like that. He's, he's, he's moving on. And now he's moving from the good shepherd to the good host, to the good host. And he's preparing a table for David before him. And this is a wonderful view of, of being able to be invited to a banquet. And everything that you want is, is on it. Moreover, he says, moving on in verse 5, he does it in the presence of his enemies. Now, this isn't, I'm going to line up your enemies in front of you and ha, 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 ha. You can just eat up and have a good time and, and laugh in their face about it, right? This isn't about vindication or anything like that. This is honoring the reality of life. He's, wa- he's walking through the shadow of the valley of death. That hasn't changed. Still, He's still talking about life. So there's going to be enemies all around us. There's going to be people that don't agree with what we agree with, who hate us, who don't like what we're about, who whatever. This has nothing to do with being a follower of Jesus. This is just being a human being. There's going to be situations. There's going to be things. There's going to be a world around us 
that we don't get along with. But yet, in the midst of that, this passage is teaching us that we can find peace at a table that is laid out before us by our good host. Goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. This is kind of weird. I know when I think about it, it's like olive oil or what kind of vegetable oil or something like that. Like, isn't it, what if we're outside? Is this going to burn? Like, I, I don't know what this is like. Are you trying to cook me or, or whatever? But the, the, the image, how they look at this is, this was something that the honored guests got. The, the host would invite the people in and this is a special ceremony at anointing the head with oil and the people would then be blessed. It would be a special moment for them. So it, it, it it takes the incredible image of this table and makes it even better. You're now an honored guest. And he says, because of that, my cup overflows. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is life abundant. This is joy. This is peace. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. Now, as I, as I read these, the, particularly verses 5 and 6, these beautiful verses about a, a current hope, a future hope, that's where they, they need to stay because sometimes we can read these things and think, oh, wow, if I, if I say God's my shepherd, is everything going to become, you know, rainbows and lollipops and, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Everything's just going to be fantastic now that these are going on. And I, and I hope you know that. Just, that's not the case. The case isn't going to be everything is just going to get magically better in life. There's a, there's a gospel that's sometimes preached, and some of you may know it as the prosperity gospel. And I, I'm not going to sit here and, and name names or throw people under the bus, but I, I want you to know that it's not true. That becoming a believer, having faith in Jesus Christ, isn't going to make you rich necessarily. It's not going to give you more stuff it's not going to heal your body. It's not going to heal your mind necessarily. It's amazing. God can do all of these things. God can provide anything. God can heal anything. But mere faith, and I don't say that lightly, right? Faith is awesome. Faith is huge. Faith is powerful. But faith is not going to get me what I want in life. So that's not what this is saying. This is saying that in the midst of all of this, I can find peace if my perspective is right. That even through the valley of the shadow of death, I can do this. Because the goodness and the mercy, and some of your, ver- or your thing, Bible translations say loving kindness or something like that, it's following. It's following. Because God's there. And this can take even more meaning to us when we think about forever and healing, <clears throat> ultimate healing in that sense, is that we know eventually... Jesus, later on, he's going to call himself the good shepherd, isn't he? Gospel of John, chapter 10. And this is beautiful. He, he calls himself the good shepherd. Because he wants us to follow. He wants people to follow him. Because he knows where he's going. He knows where to go. So the question I got for you this morning is, who are you following? And are they leading you towards contentment? Or are they leading you away from contentment? Think about that. I recently read an author who interviewed some of the world's most successful people. And to a person, they all said the same thing. Who you surround yourself with is eventually who you're going to become. 
your, your, your inner circle, your tight inner circle, that's, that's who you're going to become. Who you look to as role models, more often than not, is where we end up. So when we ask that question, who are we following? The, the Sunday school answer would be, hopefully, that's, there's that joke, right? For those of you who don't know, they say that if you go to Sunday school and as someone asks a question, you can just say Jesus, right? Just, just say Jesus and, and more times out of not, you're going to be right because that's, that ends up being the answer. It's, it's funny, I think. Uh, but it's true, right? In this, in this circumstance, this is where we, this is the answer we want to have. But incredibly, Paul, the Apostle Paul also says something like this. He says this a number of times, four times, I believe, to some degree. Follow after me as I follow after Christ. Follow after me as I follow after Christ. So we ask ourselves, who are you following? You're following Christ? Or, or like, if you're, if you're looking to somebody, because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with looking to a mentor. Mentors are awesome. I have lots of them. But who are they following? And if it's not Jesus, then it, it's, it's difficult. So then why do we still become discontent? Well, I think we get ourselves stuck when we have an insufficient, and this is why I love being part of Team Jesus, as Giselle likes to call it, because we've been singing songs all morning about it, and Andrew talked about it. We often have an insufficient understanding of God's love for us. And, I, and sometimes we, can, we talk about God's love ad nauseum, and it's like, oh man, we're talking about God's love again. But it's, just, it's because it's that awesome. It's because it's that amazing. And we need to keep talking about it until we get it. Until we understand it. A lot of you know, I, I talk about it a lot, but I think this illustrates it well. I, I was in addiction for a lot of years, and ten years ago I cleaned up. And praise God, I started following Christ, and, and my life radically changed. But I started to, to, to go sideways a little bit in my mind. I started to, to wander off, right? I wasn't paying attention to who my shepherd was. And after two years, I suffered a relapse for a couple of days. So eight years ago. I suffered a relapse for a couple of days. And a good friend of mine, Andy Steiger, he wrote a book called Thinking, Answering Life's Five Biggest Questions. And he actually, he quotes me in it. So I'm going to, I like the way I said so I'm just going to read that. Because uh, it speaks to what I'm talking about. It turns out that my idea of grace was inextricably linked to my perception of self-worth. This thinking clearly demonstrates where I was spiritually. I developed a faith cobbled together on pride and works. It was a faithless faith. I'd begun to let the concepts of success and acceptance answer the question of meaning in life, in my life. So with my relapse, I had obviously failed. That's not, it's not successful to relapse. So I avoided those I loved, including God. Who would want me anyway, I thought. I'm just a loser. But there in that motel room, I remember sensing the presence of God and being confused. I remember thinking, God, you shouldn't be here. Scram. Then I began to realize that he had not given up on me. God had never stopped loving me. His love was relentless. And it was shown through people exhibiting time after time, coming to me and talking to me and telling me to smarten up. So, at the end, I, I finish with some of you might be, I finished this part, might be asking, what does all of this mean? Well, I really can't tell you. All I can say is that God, he used it. He used this situation to speak into my life and talk to me about relationship, particularly with him, but with the brothers and sisters I had around me. 
C.S. Lewis is noted for saying, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. This situation was no different because as a fallen man, the things I hate are the things that come most naturally. And it takes a supernatural voice to hear them calling out to me. The reason why this psalm, or one of the reasons why the psalm is so special to me, is that the recovery house that I went to was called Psalm 23, Transition Society. I wasn't a Christian when I walked in the door, but when I left, I was. And I, I had a deeper relationship with God, and I actually went back there after that. So if we're going to get to the place where we get that if God is my shepherd, if the Lord, if the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want, we have to get a handle on the fact that God is passionately interested in us. He's passionately interested in our lives, and he is constantly speaking to us through other people, through our thoughts, and through his word. So once we get this God-loving-us thing, the view from the valley is going to change. This morning I was, I was talking to Cedric, actually, and he, he told me that, you know, things could always be better, but I'm grateful for what I have. Brother? I couldn't have said, I, I could have just got Cedric to come up and say that sentence. And, we, and that's, that sums up exactly what I've been saying this morning. So, amen, brother. It's hard to be worrying about the things we don't have if we're busy being grateful for the things that we have. So we may not get this perfectly right. We are just a bunch of, a bunch of sheep, right? And we, we don't always get things right. If you do, though, that's fantastic. But remember, we should be doing, what we should be doing is aiming to get better. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about life being like a boat and we're going and we're looking at our wake behind us and these are the actions, these are the different decisions and things that we've done. We want to see improvement as we go. We're, we're gonna, we want to, we want to fail better. Getting better at content with what we're doing. That's what this is all about. We won't want in relationship if God is our shepherd. He'll fill that role and then it'll overflow into all the areas of our life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your wonderful gift of grace to us and and your love for us. Thank you for all of the ways that you provide for us in this life. Now we ask that you help keep that at the forefront of our minds. It's wonderful to be able to know that you are a shepherd and you do care passionately about us. So help us be able to have that contentment in this life and in the next. In your name, amen.